la visir. So last week we uh, wrapped up our uh, our series called the Abundant Life, and uh, the Abundant Life was a series that was was based on our core values here at Ten Ten, um, and. <clears throat> So we're, we're kind of in a, a couple weeks of standalone messages, and uh, we'll see what the Lord has in store after that. Um, but today, I want to bring a, a word to you. Um, we're going to be primarily in two passages, uh, Exodus 34 and 2 Corinthians 3. <clears throat> and uh, the, the title of the message today, once again, in case you missed it earlier, is We Behold What We Become. We become what we behold. That works a little better. We become what we behold. And um, I had a um, had a really good week in the Lord. So if you guys want to turn to Exodus 34, let's just jump right in this morning. <clears throat> Uh, in, in Exodus, what we're what we're viewing here, if, if you guys, uh, and if you want to go to that first slide, there we go, cool. So, um, what we're seeing here in in, in the the story of the Exodus of the Israelite people, Moses as their leader, um, they've come to this place, they've come to Mount Sinai, and um, uh, they're going to be given some 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 laws. There's going to be this first set, really, that God is going to give the Israelites, it's going to be a, a directive that teaches them how to live, okay? Um, we've, we've talked a little bit in the past about the Ten Commandments, their purpose, that yes, they were a guide, but when we really start to really understand what God's purpose was with the Ten Commandments, the Israelites had to look at these Ten Commandments and think to themselves, I can't do this. And we see in other passages of Scripture that the law was really to help us understand how much we could not do this without God. We needed a Savior. We needed a Redeemer. There was no way that we could live up to it. As the Israelites looked at these, yes, did they aspire to live by them? Absolutely. Was it a guiding set of principles for them as they became and learned how to become God's people? Yes. Did they ever fully live up to them? No. And neither can we. So much so that the first time that Moses was given these Ten Commandments, these stone slabs, he comes back down after being with God. Being with God in a significant way. One of my favorite stories of the Old Testament. Moses is literally begging with God. Because here's what God says. God says, I can't really go with you guys to the promised land. You're a bunch of stiff-necked people. Just hard-headed so I'll send one of my angels with you, but I, I, I can't go with you. You guys are driving me nuts. Moses begs God, where can we go if it's not with you? Please come with us. And he literally intercedes for the Israelite people with God. And, and God's, his, his grace, his mercy toward them is rekindled. Okay, I'll go with you. 
And Moses is having such a unique experience that he literally says to God, let me see you. Let me see you. And God's like, uh, you no, 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 you don't know what you ask here. For surely anyone who sees me will die. Anyone who looks upon my face will die. Okay, we're leading up to where we are here. Okay, I'm not reading from this passage yet. Just got to give you a little backstory. So, so God says, listen, you, you, um, you can't see me, okay, but I'm going to hide you in the cleft of this rock. And after I've passed, okay, then I'll allow you to look and you'll, you'll be able to see. Essentially, the translation is you'll get to see where I just was, okay? And so God passes by. Moses is hiding like in this little crevice of a rock. God essentially uncovers his eyes. Moses looks and he sees where God was and it causes his face to glow his face is all shiny and this is where we kind of catch up after he comes down from this by the way he finds out that they've been um they couldn't handle moses being gone so he's had this incredible encounter with god right He's all, he's all full of God's presence. He's literally wearing the presence of God on his face. And he comes down, and, and the Israelites have been um, proving how they can't live by the Ten Commandments, right? They built a calf. They're, they're worshiping false gods. That's why he broke the first set of tablets. Goes up for the second time. And this began a pattern with Moses' life, by the way, that every time he met with God from that point forward, well, we'll read it here. Let's just read this. This is Exodus 34, starting in verse 29. This is the second time down the mountain. When Moses came down from, the, from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Keep going. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the, the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. I don't know if you guys ever saw this before, but I just want to clarify. This was a condition, a a new reality for Moses. Did you guys catch that? We can, we can essentially discern from Scripture that for the rest of Moses' life, anytime he went in to speak with the Lord, what happened to his face? Started getting all shiny. I believe, from what we're seeing here in Scripture, that Moses actually had to wear this veil probably the rest of his life. He had such an encounter with God that it literally changed how he was with God and how God met with him. One of the cool things that God says when he, when he lets 
Moses kind of see where he just was? He, 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 he says this phrase, and the phrase is, I'll let, you, I'll let you see this because I know your name. This is something that, that God rarely said in the, in the Old Testament. This phrasing was reserved for just a handful of people throughout the Old Testament where he literally knew them by name. And he told them, it's not that he didn't know everyone by name, but he rarely said to them, this phrase is not that God had knowledge but, of, of everyone's name, but rather that God had an intimate relationship with that person. Just a handful of people would he say that phrase, which literally means, not that I know your name, but I know all of you. I know you, and you know me. Can you imagine just for a minute what it would be like if next week you come to church and you walk in and Tim Juanowicz's face is shiny, it's glowing, okay? Would anyone else be a little bit weirded out? <laughs> Tim said, I will, I will be weirded out. Thankfully, that's not how God works with us now. When we spend time with Jesus, it's not like we come away with our face all glowing and shiny. But here's what I want you to understand. It's easier than we might think for people to tell where we've been. Did you hear that again? It's easier than we might think for people to tell where we've been. So here's a question I want to ask. If you want to just bring this question up, Ben. Where have you been? Where have you been? I felt uh, a pretty strong conviction on this this week as I was studying. And it probably wouldn't hurt if all of us had a little level of conviction with this. What have you been putting yourself in front of? What's been influencing you? See, in a lot of ways, where we've been and who we've been with begins to reflect our countenance, begins to reflect in our face, in our body language, in our attitude, in our actions. Where have you been? I think it would be Reasonable for some of us to, to consider the fact that maybe um, we, we are fooling people. I, I want to, you know, we, we could sit here and say, like, I, I want to I be with the Lord, but, but you know, people aren't going to be able to, to tell. And I, and I just want to tell you from personal experience, <clears throat> it is not true. The people who know me well know when I'm suffering in my relationship with Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit later here. People who know me well can tell when I'm getting off track. And the people that know you well can tell when you're getting off track. This is one of the most beautiful things about the family of God. It's yet one, also one of the things that we tend to shy away from the most. 
Wouldn't you agree? When's the last time somebody other than in a preaching setting? Church, look, look at me, okay? Don't, don't look away on this one. When's the last time somebody asked you how your relationship with God really was going? When's the last time somebody confronted you on a sinful pattern or behavior? When's the last time someone knew you well enough and you allowed them to know you well enough that in those moments, they could actually have the ability and the opportunity to speak into your life and say, I see this, and it's not right. When's the last time someone did that for you? When's the last time someone asked you, where have you been? I believe that most of you in this room, if not all of you, in the honesty of your heart, you would say, I long to know God more. I want to know God better. I, I want to have a more intimate, thriving relationship with Jesus. I want those things. And I would tell you, if you were to say that, that I believe you. And we would believe one another. Yes. It, I, I can't imagine you would be here for any other reason, to be just perfectly honest. You, you could go and be a part of any other type of club, okay? Any group of people. The purpose of this gathering is to to lift high the name of Jesus and for our lives to be transformed into his likeness. That's why we're here. There is no other reason. At the end of the day, if we're not doing that, then let's shut the doors. This is why we're here. And all of this, by the way, up until a very significant moment in history, all of this, this whole concept of like living for God, living through the, the rules and the commandments that were given. By the way, just a total side note, I think this is really crazy and cool. How many of you, uh, just close your eyes for a minute, and I want you to picture the, the, the Ten Commandments, okay? How many commandments are written on the left-hand side in your imagination? Five, three, okay. <clears throat> Did you know that all 10 were written on both sides. Just a total sidebar. The reason that they did this is that one was for distribution and one was for keeping. There are 10 commandments written on both sides. If you want to know more about that, we'll talk later. That's not really conversation for now. But I found it pretty cool when I learned that this week. All of this was law. All of it was religion. All of it was oppressive nature to prove how much we needed a savior, how much we needed a redeemer. Here's the rules. You can't live up to them. Here's the rules being spoken to you. We can't. I mean, literally, when the Israelites heard these rules, they fell down. They were broken before God saying, how can we do this? How can we do this? And it was a continual nature of God through his prophets, through Moses, explaining that there is a Messiah coming. But until the rule had been established, until people knew that they weren't good enough, the law remained king. And here's what's really neat. You switch to the New Testament. You guys can turn to 2 Corinthians 3. See, Israelites had a covenant. 
And God said, you're going to be my people. You're going to frustrate me. It's going to be difficult for you to hear. But at the same time, I just want you to understand there's something new coming. So we have a covenant now as Israel people. And then Jesus shows up and the covenant changes. The old covenant passes away. The new covenant becomes in effect. So here we are, new covenant, right? Under the old covenant, a certain select group of people could go in and meet with God. Moses, for the rest of his life, had a shiny face. He would go in, he'd come out changed, and so that he didn't freak people out, he'd wear a veil over his face every time after he spoke to the people. He'd go in again, shiny face. Go in again, shiny face. This is something that happened. But did the rest of Israel have shiny faces? No. Matter of fact, every time they came... Moses came out, it says that the Israelite people were actually scared. They were afraid. What do we do with this person who literally is wearing the very glory of God on his face? I don't know how to handle that. You know why I can't handle that? Because I'm so sinful that I can't actually stand to see something so holy. I can't stand to see something that is so much evidence that this person was in the presence of God and then I look at myself and I'm afraid because they understood the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 3. There's this Latin word. I want you guys to repeat this after me. Latin word. Ready? You learn a little Latin. You guys ready? Fortiori. Fortiori. Some of you. <laughs> so, anyway, the word's fortiori. You can go home and practice it. Fortiori. Fortiori is a word that literally is like, it's, it's like an if-then statement, but fortiori literally means to the stronger. Okay? To the stronger. So what, what this is saying is this. If A is true... Okay, if A is true, then B is way more true. Okay, that's what this word means. It's not an if-then classic kind of statement. It's more of a statement of saying, if this one is true, that makes, if A is true, then it makes B, like, super true, way more true. It's a good word, fortiori. And so we see Moses, right? Moses has this encounter with God, and I think to myself, this is just a personal anecdote, I think to myself, well, good for you, Moses. Good for you. You've got a shiny face. High five, right? And yet, this is not something that I'm going to experience. And that would be an anecdote, except for what Paul now writes to the Corinthian church, his second letter to the church in Corinth, and he says this. Now, remember the whole if-then thing? If the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such a glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, keep going, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? And go back to the previous verse. Let's read this one more time. Now, if the ministry of death, the law carved in letters on stone, the Ten Commandments, 
came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face, the recipient of the law, because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, meaning that the, that the old covenant, the old way in which God was with his people, is coming to an end. Then, okay, so if then, will not the ministry of the Spirit, what we have now, have even more glory? So if I sit here and say, well, I don't have a shiny face. I don't have this. There, there's not an evidence that I carry, that I have, that I spend time with God. Can I just suggest to you this morning, I think, matter of fact, I know, if you have been with God, it is evident in your life. It's not evident through a shiny face because instead of a shiny face, we literally possess the glory of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit that bears witness that we have been with God and it will show in your life. And in many of you, it does show in your life. And yet, what if you settle when there could be more? Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Fortiori. If A is true, if there was glory even under death and condemnation and the law, then how much more is the same thing true about God that his glory is now made available to us through his Holy Spirit? If condemnation brought glory, how much more will righteousness bring glory? Let's keep going. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. The law now no longer carries glory. Because of the glory that surpasses it, the ministry of the Spirit, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more what is permanent will have glory? How much more that is permanent? So something that comes to an end carry glory, but it doesn't carry glory anymore because it's dead. If that could carry glory, then now what is permanent carries glory. Keep going. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. This is, this is a profound, profound truth. Essentially, you can go back two verses for me. Okay, since we, right, he's writing to the believers in Corinth, and he says, since we have such a hope, we're very bold, not like Moses, who had to put a veil over his face. And essentially, he says in the next verse, that same veil actually still exists today in the life of those who do not yet know him as Savior and Lord. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses. Go to the next verse again. But their minds were hardened. Church, one of Satan's most significant weapons against you is doubt. 
It's one of his most significant weapons against you is doubt. Not doubt in a savior, but a doubt in who you are in the savior. How many times are we guilty of going in and out of, of living in a full knowledge and understanding how much we are loved? And yet, something happens, we, we mess up, we, we, we fail at something, we can't seem to get rid of a, a habit or pattern in our life. And, and what's the first thing that happens? We start to actually wonder, we start to wonder a lot of things. And, the, and Satan wants to bring confusion, he wants to bring doubt, he wants to bring distraction. I want to be very careful with this theology, okay? I'm going to suggest this. I'm not saying that I have this perfectly correct. I'm just saying this is something that is worth considering. Listen, your, your minds, if you are in Christ, okay, if you are in Christ, your mind cannot be hardened. Satan can try to convince you that it is. Satan can try to convince you of doubtful thinking. He can try to convince you of things that will distract you from the truth. But the reality is this. It says, for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Church, your veil, if you are truly in Christ, your veil has been taken away. And as, as much as the, the enemy that we name without fear, Satan, tries to tell you that it's still in place, tries to discourage you in that regard. Your mind cannot be hardened in Christ. It can't. Because Christ has taken it away. Check this out. Next verse. Yes. I love his emphasis and affirmation here. By the way, what I just told you, yes. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is what? Removed. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Free okay, now, when we put scripture in context, it super helps us, okay? Freedom from what? See, we, read, we take this verse and we put it on a coffee cup, right? And it takes away its power. It's not just that the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's saying, listen, where the, the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom from the veil. There is freedom from being bound to the law. There is freedom from all those things. Listen, it is related as we read the whole scripture where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You, Christian, son, daughter of the king, your mind cannot be hardened. Stop believing a lie. Don't settle. The, the relationship that you now have with the Lord, there is no language of good enough in the kingdom. What is our, what is our verse? John 10.10, 10, right? The thief comes, say it with me. Thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Your destiny is abundance. It's abundance. And anything that steals from your abundance is a lie. 
from Satan. Anything that tries to kill your hope in the Lord is a lie and an act of Satan. Anything that tries to destroy what you have in the Lord is a direct act of your enemy, Satan. He's after you. He does not like you. He hates you to a degree that you could never know. You know why he hates you? He hates you because your life now reflects the glory of your Savior, Jesus. If you don't have that, he's cool to leave you alone. I would suggest this. Again, probably not a complete theology. But if you find yourself in a situation where you're not really experiencing spiritual attack, tension, if that's not coming against you, or at least attempting to come against you, the very first place that I would suggest that you look is your relationship with Jesus. Just saying. Let's keep reading. Let's go back to that verse again just so we can kind of have an on-ramp. Okay. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, okay, we all, with unveiled face, okay, that's you, you have an unveiled face, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. There is no greater scripture, I believe, that can just literally eradicate a lie straight from the pits of hell. Sometimes, just tell me if I'm alone. Okay, I, I, I bring something to the Lord. I, I, I confess something to the Lord. And my expectation is that there is going to be about a 180 degree change that happens in my life. Now, does sometimes God do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And yet, at the same time, we all belong to a process that the Lord is so happy to have us in called sanctification. This, pro this promise and this process of us becoming more and more like our Savior. Amen? And so in the midst of this, Paul literally writes this. He says, listen, with unveiled faces, we behold the glory of the Lord, and we're being transformed into the same image. What's the same image? The image of? Okay, specifically from this verse. Stop throwing out Sunday school answers. All right. <laughs> with unveiled faces, we're beholding what? What are we beholding? The glory of the Lord. And we're being transformed into the same image, which is what? The glory of the Lord. All right. We're being transformed into the glory of the Lord from one degree of glory to another. Listen, Paul says, listen, don't get discouraged when you don't have 180 degree transformation. Celebrate one degree. Because he is going to continue to move you one degree of glory to another to another, to another, to another. And listen, church, you might spend 
the rest of you, you probably will. You will. Congratulations to me and to you. We are going to spend the rest of our lives being moved from one glory to another. One degree, one degree, sanctification. One degree, one degree, one degree. And then you'll wake up one day and you'll be like, I'm, I'm being changed. I'm being transformed. Where did this come from? And you'll have this amazing witness to the work of God, the glory of God present in your life, the work of his spirit, because the glory of God is his spirit. That's what this passage tells us. And so now you can look back and you'll see how God has been moving you from glory to glory to glory to glory. And your life now glorifies the Father who is in heaven much more than it used to. And that leaves us with a statement that we started with. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. Church, I know that sometimes we can read passages like this and we can, we can start to feel a little bit of like tension. Maybe it comes with a, uh, like an ounce of guilt or like, oh man. But listen, this statement is true because of what we just read. We just don't throw out arbitrary statements here. This is literally what this passage says. And go back to that verse before. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Church. If you want to change, behold the glory of the Lord. Dave, what does that mean? It's really simple. You want to be like Jesus? Spend time with Jesus. You want to be a more merciful person? Spend time getting to know the author of mercy. You want to be a more welcoming person? Spend time getting to know the person who welcomed the dredge of society and loved them with the love of the Father. What is it? What is it that you want your life to become? And then look to Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Space. You can see him. He's made his presence known. Why can you see him? Why can you know him? Because of the glory of the Lord is what? His spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom.
Jesus in the church, when, when, you, when you turn and you face Jesus, when you turn and face Jesus, the veil is removed. If any of you are in here and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, just know that this is such a clear story of how much Jesus has done to be unified in a relationship with you, to be restored in a relationship with you. If you would want to talk to somebody about that, there's plenty of us who are available that would love to share with you the work of Jesus on the cross. Can you imagine being able to see more than Moses saw? Can you imagine being able to actually to possess, not just wear it on our face, but literally from the very inside of who we are, the very soul and spirit that we carry the glory of the Lord? And it changes us. It changes us. But we have to be willing. It's not going to just do it passively. I think that sometimes this can be a trap that we can fall into. Just thinking, well, you know, if, if the glory of the Lord, if the Holy Spirit is, is, is in me, then he's just going to work it all out. No, Paul actually confessed this in another letter that he wrote, where he literally said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. Who can rescue me from this life of sin? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, right, that we have been saved. Hmm. Let's read another verse the Lord's bringing to mind. I've got to check myself here, though. You guys turn to John 1.14. This isn't going to be on the screen. The Lord just brought it to mind now. <clears throat> John 114 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Church, today, I just want to challenge you and encourage you with this. Do you want to change? Do you want when people look at you to know that where you've been is with Jesus. Some of you, this is not condemnation. Some of you are doing this so very well. And thank you for how you're inspiring and encouraging others around you. And yet, it's just something that is in the, the, in the overflow of my life right now. Do you want more? Do you want more? 
Can you imagine someone saying to you, by the way, I would love for us to be a, a church that encourages this in other people. But I would love to hear someone saying to you, like, man, I used to think that you spent all kinds of time with Jesus, but now I look at your life and I know now you've really been with Jesus. What beautiful words to hear. Let's pray.